0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American
0: way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and thanks for being with us for this episode of The Great America Show. We're watching a lot of extraordinary events unfolding around the world, and I can tell you those developments are raising concerns in nearly every major capital in Europe and Asia, and yes, Washington, D.C. as well. And not only because President Biden and Vladimir Putin are talking now about why Putin has put almost 200,000 of his troops on his western border, with his tanks pointed directly toward Ukraine. Now, there's considerable agitation as well over the purported warning from Biden to Putin. Biden threatening Putin with more sanctions if he invades Ukraine. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? I have quite a few reservations about the Biden warning, threat, or if you wish, ultimatum that he's delivered to Putin in the midst of a crisis that could easily explode into open conflict between Russia, Europe, and the United States. Among those reservations, Biden has already warned Putin through his Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and that warning didn't go well. Blinken met face to face with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov last week. By all accounts, the meeting was closer to a cage match, though, than a civil exchange between diplomats representing world powers. Perhaps lost on this Biden administration is the memory of the Obama-Biden administration, and that administration sanctions against Russia as punishment when Russia took all of Crimea from Ukraine and then annexed it to Russia. That was six years ago. There's been no discernible effect on Russia, and Crimea is indisputably now part of Russia. That brings up my final concern. Sanctions, in fact, are a fraudulent response to almost any aggression, but certainly Russian aggression, because those sanctions have never, ever worked, and they never will. And we shouldn't dismiss the Russian advantage in Ukraine. There's no reason at all to believe the Europeans have the stomach, the will, the manpower, or weaponry with which to stand up to the aggressions of Putin in Ukraine. And with Biden in the White House and Merkel gone, the West has no obvious leadership, which only adds to the long line of reasons that the United States should not be making warnings or putting forward ultimatums that it can't enforce. At home, we also have reason for hesitation under the Biden administration the Senate may be working its way to a vote on at least $2 trillion of spending in the Biden-backed bill Back Better bill. That's six alliterative words in a row. Aren't you proud of me? And that's about the best I can say for the mess of a legislative package that has the modest mission of coming up with $2 trillion with which to overhaul. Are you ready for this list? Healthcare, education, climate, immigration, Oh, yes, and taxes, all before Christmas. Now, you know that's going to be thoughtful legislation and just seriously targeted, targeted spending. Joining us is one of the senators who's been in the Senate for a decade, one of the smartest, most principled, and original thinkers, in my opinion, not only in the Senate, but in all of Washington, a constitutional conservative and a great American. Senator Rand Paul, welcome to the Great America Show. We appreciate you being with us. Glad to be with you, Dave. Uh, let's start first, if we may, with the the bill uh, for that two trillion dollars or so of spending. Where does that stand? I think it's important to know that there'll be no Republican votes
2: for it in the House or in the Senate. Um, we don't have this money; it'll be simply borrowed. We have a lot of pressure right now with inflation out there in the grocery store and at the gas pump, which is all coming from borrowing too much money. So the answer isn't to borrow more money. So no Republicans will support this. It's not even a given yet that all the Democrats support it. And in the Senate, they require every Democrat. You know, uh, Senator Manchin from West Virginia has been saying, well, he's worried about inflation, like a lot of us are, and that he thinks they should hold off till the spring. They're going to force a vote, but it'll inter- it'll be interesting to see how Mansion and Cinema vote on this. The bottom line is, it's bad for the country. It's
0: more borrowing, and it'll lead to more inflation next year. It's a it's extraordinary to me that uh, the Biden administration insisting on two trillion dollars in spending with these huge policy areas that I just recited, I, which should take careful consideration, thought, even hearings, perhaps, uh, and to. To add $2 trillion to the national debt right now at a time when we're trying to reduce inflationary pressure seems to be the inverse of what would be sound of fiscal and monetary policy. Yeah,
2: people have to realize that just our ordinary expenditures, Medicare, Social Security, food stamps, military, The ordinary expenditures of government lead to about a trillion-dollar deficit every year. We spend a trillion more than we bring in, even for the stuff we kind of agree on. But then last year, we added a couple extra trillion to that. So we had about a $3 trillion deficit last year. This year, we're at about three now before we get to the two more trillion they want to add. But this is incredibly irresponsible. And I think there's a danger, not only of getting double-digit inflation, but there is some danger that we could cause a panic and people could lose confidence in the dollar, and I'm more concerned about a cataclysmic fleeing of the dollar uh, than just the inflation, but even double-digit inflation, though, ends up stealing from the working class and from those on
0: pensions because inflation hurts people with lower incomes or fixed incomes the worst. And as you know, uh, hyperinflation, uh, which is certainly what double-digit inflation would be, uh, is entirely possible because we're seeing prices rising here as the uh, year winds down uh, very quickly. Uh, Social Security was supposed to have a, just about a 6% adjustment in the cost of living. Uh, that could be more than wiped out if the most recent uh, rates of increase in inflation continue. Uh, how concerned should everybody be about uh, what is arguably the advent of a period of uh, high, if not hyperinflation.
2: Well, this is the, one of the things that even our founding fathers were worried about, in the idea, as we get closer and closer to a pure democracy unbounded by a constitution, the intention was from our founding fathers that, yes, you'd get to vote, you would have representatives, but they could only do certain things because government was only empowered to do certain things, and the powers not given to the federal government were supposed to be left to the states and the people. But we now have largely a democracy unbounded by a constitution. Government can do whatever it wants. And as a consequence, people vote for more stuff for themselves. And so we have a government where one political party says, hey, we're going to give you free stuff. And people are like, well, hey, I like free stuff. I like $1,400 checks or $2,500 checks. Isn't that great to get things for free? But the real rub is it's, it's a bait and switch. It really is nothing free in life. What they get is they get an an initial sort of like a junkie, you get the high, but then the repercussions are down the road. And that's what we're seeing already And the repercussions of you, you will pay for all the so-called free stuff through inflation. But I predict it gets worse before it gets better, because I don't see fiscal discipline up here, certainly not from the Democrats. But unfortunately, even Republicans are are a mixed, uh, mixed lot on their concern for deficits.
0: Absolutely. And uh, and the rationalization has been for for many uh, so-called rhinos in the Republican Party. They, they could say, that, well, it was because of the uh, Wuhan virus, uh, the China virus, COVID-19 virus, and it's a, na- a national emergency, and indeed it was. But that emergency has abated, uh, and we are in a new phase of dealing with that pandemic, in, certainly in my judgment, and uh, I think in the judgment of most virologists who I respect, uh and, and to think that they want to continue uh, to to uh, with their authoritarian imperatives whether it be mask wearing whether it be vaccination mandates or whether kids go to school or don't go to school and what will be the post pandemic normal uh routine all of that has excited it seems the left uh with its uh i think authoritarian impulses uh what do you think You know, it's all based on a big lie. The big lie,
2: if you watch CNN, which I don't really recommend, but if you watch CNN for even 30 seconds, they'll tell you not enough people have been vaccinated. But it's an incredibly big and malicious lie. The CDC website, I looked at it just this morning. People over age 75, 97% of people have voluntarily chosen to be vaccinated. Between the age of 64 and 75, 99% of people have chosen voluntarily to be vaccinated from age 50 to 64, 87%. So the overwhelming, not not just majority, the vast majority of all people who are at risk for this have chosen voluntarily to get vaccinated. The only reason the numbers aren't 100% for the public is many people at low risk, like children, who either weren't approved for it or their parents deemed them to be at low risk, have made a decision not to get vaccinated. But the thing is, it is based all on a lie. This vaccine and the voluntary acceptance of it has been probably greater than any other voluntary uh, choice of anything in a democracy that I've ever heard of. So it's a decided success. And I think we can get through this. But uh, Fauci spreading of disinformation has forced us now, you know, they're talking about mandating this for children before they leave the hospital. That's their next step. And I think that's a terrible idea.
0: What happened uh, over the course of this pandemic that children were not being affected, that uh, only uh, anyone getting sick, of course, I shouldn't say only, but a very, very small uh, percentage uh, of children uh, ever got sick from it, let alone uh, were hospitalized or uh, died from it. Whatever happened to that? And why is it suddenly urgent that children uh, five years to, to 12 suddenly have to have this vaccine?
2: I think it's uh, very important that people look at the facts and that we hear the truth about this. In Sweden, there are 1.8 million children between the ages of uh, you know 5 and 16, sort of school-aged children, Uh, They don't wear masks in schools at all and haven't worn masks. And there have been zero deaths among kids in this age range. Hmm. In addition, people say, well, what about the teachers? Are the kids infecting the teachers? If you look at the incidence of the infection in teachers in Sweden where they don't wear masks, it's about the same as every other profession in Sweden. So there really is a lot of science and evidence. If you look in Florida, half the people obeyed DeSantis's order not to do a mask mandate. The other half of the counties had a mask mandate. When you compare the masked uh, schools to the unmasked schools in Florida over the same period of time, incidence of the disease about the same. So we need to really explore the evidence in an objective way, because if we don't, I think we're in danger of really letting these uh, infringements on our liberty uh, never, you know, never leave us. We're going to be stuck with big government telling us to mask up everywhere.
0: You know, my wife and I, uh, we are in the uh, target uh, demographic. And so we did uh, what uh, those people you cited, uh, 99% of uh, getting uh, a vaccination. We had both our vaccinations. We had our booster shots, but we didn't do so because we were persuaded uh, by a particular health authorities. We were uh, we did it because we studied it and we made a decision based on what we thought were the risk and the probabilities uh, and, uh, and the reward. Uh, and I think that's what most people did in this country. I've never right. seen a situation where people thought that it was appropriate for the government to mandate without so much as rigorous uh, examination of the evidence and an explanation and an attempt to persuade people of what they thought based on the science, the evidence would be the right choice. Uh, this, this is a, a government that doesn't think it can lead, doesn't think it can persuade, so it is mandating. Do you have the same impression? It's very unscientific to uh, treat different people from different
2: age groups the exact same way. So if you're 80 years old, you have a 10,000 times greater chance of dying from COVID than a 10 year old. So it's a different disease for a 10-year-old and an 80-year-old. There's one important thing that we should be asking before you vaccinate your children. One thing we know is if you've already had the disease, you get a thousand times greater immune response if you've already had COVID, and then you get a vaccine. If you're 75 or 80, that might be good. It might be having had the disease and having a vaccine might be good for you. But if you're 10, it may be that the... Um, exuberance of this immune response that's elicited for kids who've already had COVID may be something that's related to some of these immune reactions to the heart, either myocarditis or right. pericarditis. It'd be fairly easy to study, but Dr. Fauci refuses to study the question. You could take the blood. Let's say there's a couple hundred kids who have had myocarditis. You could actually study their blood and find out if they'd already had COVID, If it turns out that it's the same as the general public and there's no increased risk, then we'd learn something. But I really wanna know if you've already had COVID and you're a child and you get vaccinated, are you at increased risk for the myocarditis if you've already had the disease? If that's true, each kid could get a blood test before they get vaccinated to see if they've already had COVID. One, they'd know whether they need a vaccine, but then two, they might know whether they're at high risk for these side effects. But Fauci refuses to look at any of this, and that's why I think it's basically uh, his advice is malpractice.
0: It is It is really, as a citizen, it's uh, disconcerting to watch a uh, public uh, health official, that is Dr. Anthony Fauci, talking to a U.S. senator, in this case you, and being dismissive, rude, arrogant, and unyielding uh, as you raise highly intelligent, thoughtful questions about the welfare of our our nation. How can that be tolerated by, by the leadership uh, of both parties in the Senate?
2: It shouldn't be. He should have been fired long ago for lying to Congress. Uh, he did lie about uh, the fact that he was uh, funding through the NIH the lab in Wuhan, the lab where in all likelihood this virus came from, that he was funding it, but he was also funding very dangerous experiments where they create viruses that don't exist in nature, and then they test them to see if they're more dangerous. This is a a foolish, foolish uh, enterprise, and we shouldn't allow it, but we've still had yet to have one investigative committee hearing on this. I've been asking for this for nine months now, and the Democrats refuse to hear this at all. But if we take over in 2022, I'll be in charge of the health committee. And I promise you, we will use subpoenas. We will use the full force of the committees to get to the bottom of where this virus came from so we don't let it happen again.
0: Well, I, I can tell you that there are a number of public health doctors in this country who spent considerable time in China. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm addressing this to the audience Uh, who absolutely were reserved about what they knew about the Wuhan uh, Virology Laboratory. Uh, They were reluctant to speak in the first few months. I will tell you, my experience, they were very reluctant to speak openly and honestly about what was happening and the role of the NIH and even the funding of much of the laboratory work that was being done Uh, by a country that, by the way, is just bleeding this nation uh, daily of uh, (laughs) hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, It's just stunning to see what's happening. They chose to be on the side of uh, this relationship between Chinese public health officials and their government uh, and the U.S. public health uh, community. I found that stunning and terribly disappointing, and I think that the the science we hear uh, still persists because of that same, uh, to me, uh, somewhat uh, uh, grotesque uh, relationship that uh, grew up where they put uh, their community of uh, doctor brothers and sisters ahead of the nation and the national interest. I would say that it's very important that
2: uh, you have dissent Whether it's science, whether it's a law, or whether it's politics, that we find truth through argumentation. Sometimes people don't want argumentation, but that's how you get to truth. In a court of law, you have adversaries on both sides, they both present facts, and the jury has to figure out the truth. It's the same way the public has to figure out the truth of these things. But if you have scientists that are afraid to speak because Dr. Fauci controls their purse strings, controls their finances, This can lead to a very one-sided sort of presentation of things, and there is a danger to that. But there are scientists who will speak out. There's an MIT professor, Kevin Esfeld, who wrote in the Washington Post about a month ago that this kind of research that they were doing in Wuhan, this gain-of-function research, could risk the very foundations of civilization, that you could get a virus so bad, realize the virus we're dealing with is bad. It has 1% mortality. Can you imagine if we had one that had 50% mortality? they are doing experiments with viruses that have 50% mortality. That's inexcusable. It should stop. That's a debate I'm going to force. And one of the things that we're going to keep talking about, because we should make sure that if this came from a lab, that it never happens again.
0: Senator, we're delighted to have you. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it so much. All the best. Thanks for having me, Lou. And now here on the Great America Show, We turn to a congressman whose district is at the center of a huge number of issues of national importance, the war on drugs, illegal immigration, one of the country's largest ports is in his congressional district. He's also working to fix the tremendous supply chain crisis that we're in and to assure energy resources, and I hope that, uh, once again, might mean energy independence and low prices. We're joined today by Congressman Buddy Carter of Georgia. And I don't know of another congressman whose district runs the entire length of his state's coastline. I'm confident there's no congressman in California who can make that claim, certainly. Congressman Carter is a successful businessman, a pharmacist, and as you would expect with his expertise, he is on the Energy and Commerce Committee, Budget Committee, Select Committee on Climate Change, co-chair of the Community Pharmacy Caucus. Welcome to the Great America Show, Congressman Carter, and you are a busy man, so we thank you doubly for joining us. Let's turn to your bill, and I think our audience is going to love the name of your bill because it has one of my favorite titles. President Biden has his bill called Build Back Better. Congressman Carter has his bill called Build Better Borders. I love that title, Congressman. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And you're right. This is the true version of the BBB. You know, (laughs) Joe Biden and the administration have their build back better. Well, this is build better borders, which is what we need. It will solve a number of problems, a a slew of problems that we have here in this country.
0: Well, not only do I love the title of your bill, Congressman, tell everybody how your bill would pay for that, uh, for the construction of that border bill.
1: Well, as no as you know, the administration, the Biden administration, has proposed paying illegal immigrants four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Those who were separated from their families. It's a, a nothing more in, in my mind than a, than than retribution for what uh, Donald Trump did. They're just trying to make this. Uh, Another political campaign issue. But what what my bill would do would be to find every illegal immigrant who came across who comes across that border $450,000 and that $450,000 will go into a fund that will be used specifically and only for the construction of the wall. And that's what we need is we need a border wall down at our, uh, our southernmost border. There's no question about that. And that's what this bill will do. It will find them $450,000 and it will go directly into that fund, which we use only for the construction of the wall.
0: You know, I, I, as you were talking about that $450,000 that he wants to give to illegal immigrants, uh, and the fact that he doesn't want to mandate uh, vac- vaccinations for uh, the China virus uh, uh, when it comes to illegal immigrants, but mandated for citizens, uh, you know, I'm just thinking the, the man's operating like a pirate. You know, he's he's sort of at the helm. Uh, I'm not sure he knows what direction the ship is going, but he loves to yell out, uh, you know, orders and uh, uh, and he's absolutely emphatic uh, and. Ninety percent of the time, he doesn't appear to know not only not where we're going, but uh, where we've been uh, or where he is. And it's it's nice to see a congressman like you, uh, Congressman Carter, involved in so many of these important issues. Uh, and I've got to turn to the fact that you represent your state's entire coastline. There are not many folks who can say that, are there?
1: No, there are not. And, um, you know, I I tell my people in in the district all the time, there are 435 congressional districts in in the United States, and we live in the best one. (laughs) And I truly believe that. Uh, My district extends from the South Carolina state line all the way down to the Florida state line. It includes 101 miles of pristine coastline. The, Mm -hmm. The Georgia Golden Isles, what a beautiful place. It's my home. It's where I've lived all my life, where I intend to live the rest of my life. And uh, you can imagine the honor and privilege that I feel in representing that area. Well, surely. And, uh, and it is the first district, isn't it? It is the first district <laughs> and the first district of Georgia. And, uh, uh, and, and of course, um, as you know, um, James Oglethorpe um, settled in that, in that area and, and founded the city of Savannah, set out the squares. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Savannah, but it is sure uh, my
0: home and it's a beautiful, beautiful area event as a matter of fact uh, we lived in georgia for a while uh back in the uh, early 80s uh before going to new york it, it was a uh, somewhat of a culture shock <laughs> <laughs> to say <But> the least <laughs> the, but the, the but the reality is you mentioned savannah you're also involved in the in the supply chain disruption as they want to call it uh it's a messed up uh transportation system as best i can figure in most instances that's the reason for what they call a supply chain disruption uh, the port of savannah one of the country's largest uh, you've also moved to get the the port more money uh, so that you can handle more of those big
1: uh, container ships how is that going well it's going well we're very fortunate we have one of the least congested ports in america and that's the that's one of the primary reasons for our growth that we've enjoyed. We also have a great relationship between management and the unions down there. They work very well together and 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 as you can imagine, that makes for uh, success as well. Uh, the, the The challenge we've got right now is uh, yeah, you can throw money at any problem, but there are practical, solutions that, that could help the supply chain issues that the administration is, is completely ignoring. For instance, um, yeah. you know, the, the trucks that are over 10 years old can't pick up containers. Well, I, I understand the reason for that, but, you know, we got a supply chain issue right now. That's something that that could be relaxed, at least at, at this point, until we can get this supply chain issue straightened out. Um you know, there are some ports, not the Port of Savannah, but there are ports throughout the country that, you know, because of union contracts, they can't work 24 hours. Well, (laughs) you know, again, there's a simple solution to some of our supply chain problems and these supply chain problems are real. Um, We hear about it from businesses all the time. We, this is quite often we get calls from small businesses who, who can't get inventory because of, of the fact that, that, of the supply chain. Yeah, you know, Congressman, it's uh, one of the things I, 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 you know, I have
0: a, I just I have a very simple mind. Uh, when people tell me it's a supply chain disruption, I'm thinking, well, why are the supplies clear across the ocean? Why aren't they <laughs> here? And I think to myself, you know, I've got a, I've got a cure for this whole thing. Why don't we start manufacturing in this country? Why don't we quit outsourcing jobs to cheap foreign labor markets? Why don't we quit uh, sending our jobs to other cheap foreign labor markets, destroying our middle class, by the way. I mean, it is a straight on. We've gone 20 some odd years in this country until Donald Trump was elected with stagnant wages for the average
1: American working uh, man and woman. That's just wrong, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's wrong. And it's not good for our country. It's not good for our national defense. Um, when we become dependent on other countries, we look at energy, we look at our health care supplies. All of those things put us in a very precarious position. Um, you, you know, I can remember Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, saying what an advantage it was when he was uh, traveling worldwide to know that we had not only energy independence, but energy dominance. And and what a great tool that was in his tool chest to be able yeah. to use that. When and, and now we've got the Biden administration just throwing that away and destroying that.
0: Yeah, you know, and this lovely administration—I I just can't say it any kinder than that. This lovely administration, not within just hours, uh, shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, I think the, the number is somewhere around seven hundred thousand uh, barrels of oil a day that weren't uh, moving from the uh, from Canada then to down to the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, that's a lot of energy. Uh, everything he's done has been to squeeze uh, energy supplies, uh, to drive up prices. And by the way, energy independence, as you point out, people said that Trump was crazy. He couldn't get us to energy independence. Guess what? It took him two years to do it. And now we've got supply chain disruptions. When I think about the difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Donald Trump knew what, what business was. He knew what the economy was. He knew how to make decisions. He knew what was important to working men and women uh, in this country. Uh, you know, I th- always think of Donald Trump as something of a traitor to his uh, class, the wealthy <laughs> class of this country. Uh, but you know what? That's because he loves work. He loves building. He loves the American people. And he was on the side of the American family and and the working man and woman in this country. And I hear you talk, and I think I'm hearing precisely those same values, and I want to compliment you.
1: Well, thank you. And, and you know, what a change we have now. Uh, you know, my dad always said that uh, politics is like a pendulum. It's swings back and forth. And as good as Donald Trump was as our president, and I feel like he was one of the best we've ever had, Absolutely. Joe Biden is one of the worst. You know, I'm a Carter from Georgia, but... First of all, I'm the right Carter. Secondly, right now in the state of Georgia, I'm the second happiest Carter in the the state of Georgia because former President Carter is now the happiest knowing that Joe Biden has replaced him as the worst president ever.
0: I wonder where you were going with that, but I suspect you're entirely right. Uh, uh, President Carter uh, had more than a few difficulties, uh, but as the saying goes, you're talking about your father's pendulum uh, model. The good news is he made Ronald Reagan uh, possible, and for that uh, we we want to say thanks to that other Carter. He got that done for us anyway. Uh, You know, it's it's stunning to me uh, that uh, with all of your expertise, uh, a pharmacist, a businessman, uh, you're involved in climate change. The let, let's start with one of the warnings that you've been putting out, in, in the midst of what is a, a a national crisis, it's actually an international crisis. But let me be parochial and only worry right now about the United States, and that is the importation uh, of fentanyl across primarily that southern border with Mexico. China knows that uh, it's what its uh, criminal class is doing, and a, and no one wants to acknowledge that. Communist China is supporting the export of the deadliest drug we know of into this country, and a hundred thousand people are dying of fentanyl overdoses every year. This is stunning. Uh, stop, and we've got to stop it. And yet, the left insists on leaving that border wide open to sex trafficking, to drug trafficking. By the way, folks, just so you know, most of our our methamphetamines, most of our marijuana, most of our heroin, most of our fentanyl and cocaine come across that border with Mexico. And they left that this administration is endorsing and subsidizing and making that possible. Uh, And they should ask God for
1: forgiveness for what they're doing to this country and our people. Absolutely. And and Lou, as as you know, there is enough fentanyl in this country right now to kill every American seven times over. Ah. Seven times over. And and where is it coming from? You're exactly right. It's coming from that southern border. And and you know, I, I get frustrated sometimes because I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, the border problem, that's a problem in Texas and New Mexico, Arizona, California. It doesn't really impact me. Wrong. First of all, it's much more than just uh, illegal immigrants coming across that border. It is this fentanyl. It's the illegal drugs that are coming across this border. And, and, and the problem at the border has turned every state into a border state. And these illegal drugs that are coming into this country, they are infesting all communities. They are infesting, whether it's Georgia, Florida, New Jersey, uh, Chicago, or Illinois, or the, the, the Far West, They are everywhere. And it is a national problem. We have to understand that. And we're never going to get it under control until we secure our border. Well, absolutely. And until we get
0: uh, everyone to understand that there is, uh, everybody wants to talk about accountability. Well, this this instance, uh, accountability uh, is uh, the reward uh, for the Democratic Party uh, and the the Leptus who are dry, leading at least the fourteen of the biggest cities in this country uh, that have the highest crime rates, they have record numbers of murders, and no one is saying anything about it. It's not an accident that that's happening in big cities run by the democratic machine who do not prosecute, they do not arrest the the perpetrators. Uh, it is a lawless environment. Urban America is a lawless uh,
1: desert right now, and it, it's got to be fixed. It's just it, got to be fixed. It has, and and y- you make a great point. It is urban America. You know, my wife and I are blessed. Our, we just had another grandchild, and and that my youngest son, and that's number six. And uh, and and here we are. They live in Buckhead in the atlanta area one of the most affluent areas in georgia and and yet they have a serious crime problem so serious that they're talking and considering de-annexing from the city of atlanta and and creating their own city so that they can have their own police force well i've got a vested interest there i got a grandbaby there i want to make sure that they're they're in good shape but because of the the crime problem Because of the the rhetoric that we've heard, particularly last summer with defund the police that came out of the Democratic Party and and that they continue to press forward with, that's resulted into the crime problems that that we have in in our urban areas right now. And the illegal drugs that are coming across, the border situation. And what's so frustrating to me about the border situation is First of all, here we have a president of the United States who, as a senator, as a vice president, as a president, has never been to the border, to the southern border, never. And then we have the czar, the border czar, Kamala Harris, who goes to the border but goes to the wrong place. She went to El Paso, which is some 800 miles from the epicenter of the problem. I've been to, I've been to McAllen, Texas, twice this year. Right. I've been four times since I've been a member of Congress.
0: Yeah, it's uh, people who who have not been to the border. First of all, uh, it's uh, most of it is high desert. It's a beautiful area. uh, uh certainly in Arizona, uh, California, uh, New Mexico, the Rio Grande Valley, and Texas. And and the fact of the matter is, it, ranchers who've lived in that uh, along that border for years are. They have trafficking of all sorts. I said sex trafficking, human smuggling, drugs. Uh, it's, it's awful what is being done to American citizens in those small communities, primarily small communities along that border, uh, and what is being done to this country. We will have 2 million. Congressman, you know this. We'll have 2 million illegal immigrants crossing that border uh, this in the first year of this president's uh, uh, first and probably only term. Uh, It's stunning that this is happening. And they're being transported into the innermost uh, uh, communities of this country by plane at night, uh, like, uh, well, like the contraband that they in fact are.
1: Exactly. And and the money that is being made by these coyotes, by these uh, uh, by these gangs that in Mexico that are running this. I mean, you want to talk about a well-run organization, then you talk about the cartels down there. I mean, yeah. when the last time we visited, we went to the border in, in McAllen, as I indicated in, earlier, and, you know, they have actually have wristbands for them. And they're different colors depending on whether they have already paid the, the cartels or whether they still have um, still owe them money. Uh, and and listen, you don't get across that border unless you pay the cartel. And if, yeah. if they catch you without, uh, without one of those wristbands, they'll kill you. And well, so it, it's that dangerous down there.
0: And if you tried to get your own wristband, I imagine you'd be in even bigger, <laughs> even sure. bigger
1: trouble. I, I, you know,
0: I'm making a joke out of this, but the cartels run that border. Don't let anybody tell you it's just Mexico, Northern Mexico to make this work. There has to be immense corruption on both sides of that border, and there have to be deals, and President Trump scared everybody. He scared the establishment, and uh, the the, establish, the establishment chose the Democratic Party to attack uh, Donald Trump, and they persecuted the man, two failed impeachments on baseless charges. They're persecuting him even now. Uh, investigation after investigation, they never turned up anything. Think about that, Congressman. Nothing. They turned up nothing, and everybody walks around whistling like, "Well, that five, that five years of hell for the for the president uh, and his family just doesn't matter." It, it it matters greatly, doesn't
1: it? Oh, absolutely, it matters greatly. And 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 obviously, you can understand why the president, why President Trump was so upset. They did attack him and his family. I mean. I can tell you, being in public office myself, um, I'm okay. You, you attack me, fine, but when you attack my family, now th- that's off limits. And and they attacked his family, and I, I know he was so upset about it. Listen, I was at the State of the Union address when Nancy Pelosi tore up his speech after he had given it to her. You know how childish? I mean, just ridiculous. And and I've I've witnessed it. I I've been here during both of those failed impeachments, and and. And they were, they were just an in exercising futility, and it should have never happened. It was ridiculous, and yet, um, you know, we continue on, and, and we've got to continue on. And I, I hope that this and this president still has great influence, great influence, and, yeah. and I'm glad of that. Well, we're we're going into 2022, the midterm election,
0: and right now the president's made it clear. He made it clear he is going to have considerable say in who gets through those primaries and uh, no more rhinos. Uh, This is still, uh, and people sometimes are surprised when I say this, but this is the truth. The Republican Party is his party. Despite the fact that Ronald McDaniel is still the chair of the RNC, despite the fact that there are still rhinos aplenty, at least enough in the house to have gotten uh, uh, the bill back better bill with apologies to you. Yours is a much better title (laughs) bill. Uh, They're the ones who got that bill through 13 turncoat Republicans. And we've got to make certain that people understand a Republican and isn't just any Republican, these rhinos, Republicans in name only, they've got to be stopped and they've got to be stopped now because they are uh, in league with, the Democratic Party, the radical Dems, and the, and the leftist Marxist uh, uh, Dems, along with corporate America. There's a whole new alignment here. And thank
1: goodness for Donald Trump's leadership, both in and out of the White House. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And he, he continues to be a force in the state of Georgia. I can assure you of that. We've done polling that's shown, whereas still 74, 75% of Republicans identify Donald Trump as being the leader of the Republican Party. That's well,
0: and at the same time, uh, the the state of Georgia still has not gotten all of its act together in terms of an electoral system that will assure every voter uh, of the integrity of their vote. Your thoughts on that?
1: Well, um, you're right. Um, there, there's still a confidence, uh, a lack of confidence there in the voting system. However, I do applaud the Georgia State Legislature for the work that they did and, and the Election Integrity Act that they passed last session. I think it will help. It will improve. It'll make cheating harder and voting easier, and we needed that. There are still... Um, improvements that can be made, but it is much, much better than it was thanks to the work of the Georgia State Legislature and the work that they did with the Election Integrity Act. And that's the problem I had from the get-go. The major problem that I had is that the changes that were made were made by the executive branch. Our Constitution is quite clear. It yeah. says that the state legislatures will make these changes. I can remember having a phone call and and. March of 2020 with the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and and I led that phone call of the Republican delegation, congressional delegation here in the state of Georgia when he told us that he had reached a settlement agreement with the Democrats Mm -hmm. to avoid a lawsuit that would allow him to mail out an absentee ballot application to everyone in the state of Georgia that was on the voter roll. Can and you, we told him then, we told him back in March, oh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. That's where mainly, that's where you have most of your fraud at. And yeah. he he didn't listen to us and went ahead with it. And sure enough, um, you know, the potential for fraud, it, it was certainly
0: yeah. there. Well, you know, there's nothing like common sense. And uh, there's also nothing like understanding cause and effect. And you, and you explained both to him and still he persisted. So I, I, one of my mentors was a, a pretty good banker by the name of Walt Riston. He used to say, when things don't add up, look under the rug. Well, there's a lot of uh, under the rug looking to be done in Georgia because that the explanations for what they did and why still hasn't, you know, haven't been revealed. Uh, this, is, this is corruption on a high level, in my opinion. And I, I think that the, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation should be taking a very strong look at it. I can't understand why they have it. Have you got a sense of that?
1: Well, I I'm, I will say that I'm disappointed there hasn't been more uh, investigation into this. I think there are some other things that could have been done. Um, mm. you, you only have to look as far, <laughs> you know, I don't know how I, I get to, to refer to former President Jimmy Carter twice in, in this conversation, but... Uh, there was an Arizona case and that was um, just settled in the Supreme Court um, a, a few months ago. That um, that that went back part of the argument cited Jimmy President Jimmy Carter saying the 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 main area that you have that, that that can lead to fraud is absentee voting. Yeah, and that's what happened in the state of Georgia. We had so many calls in our office of people who are saying, you know, I just got two absentee ballots, not an application, but ballots for someone who lived here 15 years ago. (laughs)
0: That's unbelievable. You know, and I think where we are, Congressman, suddenly we don't have election day. And that, by the way, is in the Constitution that uh, we we, we pick a day, but not, not a week, not a few months, not a year. We pick a day. And somehow with all of these advances in technology and in our, uh, the quality of our life, our standard of living, the, and, and the think of how brilliant all our teachers are uh, in uh, K through 12 and (laughs) at college. And suddenly we're too dumb to get to a voting booth and uh, incapable of voting on the day selected by state legislatures. I, I mean, are you, there's something really rancid about that and that we have to
1: get to the bottom of, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. Look, um, One of the greatest freedoms that we have in this country is the freedom to vote and, and the freedom to, to elect our public officials and our elected officials. And, and you know, that is something I I'm, I thank all of our veterans for among all the other great freedoms that we have, but that one in particular. And okay. And, and yeah, it takes effort, and, and we should we we should t- make that effort to get out to get to vote, to educate ourselves on the on the candidates, all of that. And you know, look, it, this is a responsibility, uh, a citizen's responsibility, to be involved in this and to educate ourselves and and to participate. One of the things this show's uh, doing.
0: Uh, Congressman, just so you know, we're, we're not just talking on this show. We are going to proselytize. We're, we're going to be evangelical about <laughs> getting folks who uh, listen to this show uh, to the voting booths. We're going to be encouraging to be uh, vote watchers, uh, election officials, uh, and volunteers across the country because they've got to. engaged one it's one thing to make a mistake and we all made a big mistake in 2020 but you know what the real test is whether we repeat our mistakes and we sure sure better make absolutely certain that we don't repeat that mistake ever again the country can't afford the high cost uh, that we're paying right now the high price we're paying for those mistakes
1: that we all made Elections have consequences, and policies have consequences, and we are suffering the consequences right now of the Biden administration's policies, and we're suffering the consequences of the Biden election.
0: Congressman Buddy Carter, a great American and a terrific congressman from the great state of Georgia, First District, I might add. Uh, Great to have you with us, and it's uh, great of all of you listening in uh, to be with us. We appreciate it when you share part of your day with us and i want to just say this we've got some important news here that i shouldn't have left to the end of the episode but uh the fact is we've had we're a little acorn you know we've we've only been on the air less than uh well less than a month and already and i'm proud to report to you uh that we are in the top 50 in politics on the apple podcast there are other metrics but uh Also, you'll be impressed to know that this is an international podcast of of immense importance, and in particular, we're proud of our ranking in Tanzania. Now, we're in lots of countries, but Tanzania, we're number three in politics in Tanzania. Now, we're a little acorn, but we're sure growing, and we want to thank you for that uh, dramatic growth that we've been enjoying. Thanks so much, and uh, see you next time. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against
2: all odds.